Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 198. Our guest today is Eric Severinghaus. Eric has summited the highest peaks in the business world, building and selling multiple companies and the physical world by successfully climbing Mount Everest. He is proudest of the scars he's accumulated, overcoming both the external obstacles and internal trap of self-doubt along the way. His new book, Scale Your Everest, How to Be a Resilient Entrepreneur, is a guidebook for mental health, resilience, and entrepreneurship. Eric has an MBA from the Kellogg School of Business and an undergraduate degree from the University of North Carolina. Good morning, Eric. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Hey, good morning, Craig. Thanks so much to you and Shai for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you on and just an interesting background you have and so much that built up into this book. But let's back up a little bit and tell us about preparing for climbing Everest and what were some of your takeaways afterwards? Yeah, thanks. So I climbed Everest in 2018, an amateur mountaineer who's climbed a few other things and finally decided to go for the big one. And I'll tell you, as you can imagine, when you're preparing to go over to Mount Everest, there's a tremendous amount of physical preparation. I spent a lot of time in the gym. I had I had some days that were 12-hour workout days and really pushing my body physically to be prepared for what I knew would be a feat of endurance. But the other side of it, and the side that really was much more of a takeaway and really ended up being much more important on the mountain, was the mental side of it. I had a friend who was going through my training schedule with me, and he was surprised to find that leading up to going over there and climbing, I had set on my schedule things like meditation, visualization. I was reading a lot of books on mental resilience and a lot of those types of topics under the theory that when I got there, the physical side would be difficult, but the mental side of staying in the game, of not quitting when it gets hard, of being prepared for the ups and downs and the challenges of the mountain would actually be the defining element of whether or not I would succeed. And as I learned through the journey, that ended up very much, in fact, being the case for me. It's incredible to take on such an amazing task and set that as your goal and achieving it. As you well know, there's so many that do not. And what really drove you to evolving that into the book? So I'll tell you the fascinating thing from my experience is, as you mentioned, very few people, a staggeringly small percentage that climb actually end up making it to the summit. Very few people end up making it on their first try. That was something I didn't really appreciate until I got over there was how many people try and then it doesn't work out. And so they go back and try and try and try again. What was really interesting for me when I went over, I went with a group of about 30 climbers. And I will tell you that when I showed up, if you were looking at their climbing resumes, if you were just looking at their physique and strength, I would have put my money on many of those other people to make it before I would have. And and so there were about 30 of us. and, And for rough numbers, what was really interesting to me was about 19 ended up leaving and going back to where they came from before summit day. 
And in some cases, those things were acute injuries. It was terrible frostbite. It was, you know, some really gnarly stuff. But what was really interesting to me was that a lot of people ended up leaving for much less reasons than that. They left because they were sort of uncomfortable. They missed their family. Uh, It's a very frustrating experience to be half a world away, to sort of not have the creature comforts of home. And then on summit day, so when we got to what most people think is arguably the hardest feats of human strength, right? Summiting Mount Everest and that final summit day that all the books and movies are written about and everything else. At least out of our group, 10 of the 11 of us that tried to summit on that final day ended up making it. And so what I thought was really, really interesting about that is the hike to base camp, which is something that nobody really talks about and that people do all the time in varying degrees of of kind of physical strength, that ended up causing multiple people on my team to quit. And then that crazy feat of human endurance, that sort of final moment of summiting, again, we had 90% success rate. And what I thought was really interesting about that is it just goes to reinforce the notion that as with so many things in life, It's not that really difficult, hardest day of your life that ends up causing people to quit, that ends up causing people to go home. On that day, on that really difficult day, your endorphins, your adrenal system, all of these others, uh, your body's been adapted to do. Your body's actually, although it's not well adapted for the oxygen that high up in the air, your body's pretty well adapted for that brutally difficult day that you have to get through. It's the daily grind. It's the daily challenge, the sort of daily wearing away of your emotional and and physical side of you. And it was that multiple weeks leading up to summit day that ended up being much harder for most people. And it was really that takeaway. I spend most of my life and most of my career in entrepreneurship and in starting and building and investing in businesses. And what I realized is there's a lot of parallels there between the sort of entrepreneurial side, which has the same dynamics. It's this idea that on our hardest day, we'll oftentimes rise to the occasion, but it's that daily grind that actually ends up being much more difficult for us as we try to run or operate, start businesses. That's such an interesting insight. It also makes me think of that saying, so much of success is just showing up, right? And there's sort of this grind that you go through, and it can be really demoralizing as you're building a company. As you know, it can be very lonely, right? And you're not always getting the kind of affirmation (laughs) that can help you along the way every day. And you have to dig deep and have your own convictions around what you're doing. But, you know, so often we don't understand how many folks are not doing anything but daydreaming. And so it's just the act of getting out and doing the work and sticking with it and establishing your own mile markers. What is my base camp going to be? What is my second base camp going to be? And what is the summit that I'm trying to reach? You know, so many incredible metaphors from this type of a journey. And it sounds like that's a lot of what this book is about. And I'm curious, I've climbed a few mountains, metaphorically and actually, (laughs) very amateur hiker, but did do climb in India some years ago on a trek, um, Stok Kangri, which is 20,000 foot peak, not quite mountaineering, but one of the taller free climbs you can do anywhere in the world. And wow, that oxygen thing is for real. You know? <laughs> 20,000 feet is no joke, man. No joke. You know, Tyson says everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, wait till you yeah. can't breathe. 
<laughs> and that, that really changes your perspective too. So I'm really curious, what was this last piece of the journey like for you? Not, you know, not even necessarily summit day, but as you move from base camp, which again, most people, when they talk about climbing Everest, you know, it's sort of ecotourism, let's go to base camp and hopefully not throw all the garbage around like a lot of people do. But what you did is entirely different. I mean, straight up expedition. So tell us about that. What kinds of things did you learn from those last pieces of the journey? Well, Shai, you brought up two different concepts that I think are really both very important. And as you were talking about the the entrepreneurial side of it, and it ended up playing exactly into the mountaineering side of it for me as well. So there's these two ideas that I bring up in the book that I think are really important is we try to contextualize where we are on the journey, whether that's mountaineering or whether it's entrepreneurship or even operating businesses, that type of thing. The first is what I call delusions of grandeur. And you kind of mentioned it as the daydreaming phase. It's this phase of, I think I can go do great things, but the world around me doesn't necessarily recognize that I'm good enough. I remember this back in many of my early entrepreneurial days, like feeling like I'm capable of doing so much more, feeling like I'm capable of starting these businesses and people sort of looking at me, patting me on the head and saying, sure you are. Like, that's really great that you're ambitious, like go for it. But nobody really taking you all that seriously. People not wanting to invest in you, et cetera, et cetera. And I sort of had those same things when I said, I want to go climb Mount Everest. And people kind of looked at me and said, yeah, that's great, Eric. I'm glad to hear that you're going to do that. And I don't think anybody really ever took me all that seriously. And then there was the other side of it which is the imposter syndrome side of it. And it's sort of the mirror image of those delusions of grandeur. It's this idea that people might look at you and think that you're capable of doing something and you don't even feel it in your own bones. And so on the entrepreneurial side, I very much remember when I was on the cover of magazines and people were investing millions of dollars and people were giving up their careers to come work for me and and support their family on the paycheck that I was providing. And I remember oftentimes just looking in the mirror and wondering, like, do I really have what it takes? And a lot of times feeling like I didn't, even though people were looking at me like I did. I had that exact same experience on Mount Everest. When I was climbing, it it wasn't a crazy summit day spectacular episode. It was when I was climbing from Camp 2 to Camp 3, which is a fairly benign climb in many ways. But Shai, you mentioned 20,000 feet. It was the first time that I'd gotten above about 21 or 22,000 feet. And so I was higher than I'd ever been. Exactly as you mentioned, I wasn't breathing the air very well. We weren't on oxygen at this point. And I had had some issues where I had forgotten a water bottle. I had to go back and get my water bottle from camp two. I had almost lost a crampon as I was climbing up some very, very difficult ice. And I wasn't sure that I was going to make it. I knew I didn't have the strength to go all the way back down to camp two, but I kept looking at camp three and thinking, man, how am I ever going to get there? It seems so far away, even as I was trying to get closer and closer. And so It was at that point I was ready to quit. I had actually started to make plans to go home. I had started to make plans to change my flight. And I was really overcome with this imposter syndrome, this feeling like I wasn't good enough to be on the mountain. I wasn't strong enough to be at that level of oxygen. I just didn't have what it took. And I was set to throw in the towel. Despite all the mental resilience work that I'd done, despite everything that I'd done going into this, I was ready to throw in the towel and and I was just ready to be done with it. And it was at that point that a team of people around me 
my girlfriend at the time back home had a satellite communicator and I was texting with her and she was being very encouraging to me along with my guides who came into the tent and showed me a bunch of data and, and sort of convinced me that actually I was doing better than I thought I was. And because of that, I was able to kind of reset myself and I kind of went back to the idea of taking it a day at a time and I wasn't going to let the entire mountain overwhelm me. I was just going to do that day's work. But it was such a reminder to me to not let myself get caught up in that imposter syndrome, to remind myself to get out of my own head, to remind myself to just take it one day at a time. And all of these things sound very cliche. It's certainly stuff that people have said in the past, but I think it's so important to understand as we try to build and grow businesses that no matter what we do, no matter how prepared we think we are, it's still so easy to get overwhelmed with many of those feelings. And then having that team around you, that team to support you and help you reset yourself is just as important. Yeah, that's every entrepreneur and in some ways every human feels at some point in the journey. So how have you incorporated these lessons in sort of the day-to-day way that you operate? How has this changed you? And how can we internalize what you've learned to improve our performance and confidence I'll tell you the number one thing that I took away. The most important piece of advice that my guides kept giving me when I got there. I kept wanting to climb harder and climb faster on the days leading up to summit day. I kept wanting to push myself more, strengthen myself, feel more confident. And what my guides kept doing is they kept slowing me down. And they kept saying, you know, Eric, there's going to come the day that you're going to need every bit of strength that you have. Make sure that you're resting and recovering. Rest days for me were the hardest. Like just laying around the tent doing nothing was not what I went to Mount Everest to do. And what I realized was that the key to my high performance, high on the mountain, the key reason that I was able to summit, the the key reason that I was able to overcome a lot of the adversity, much of that had to do with the rest and recovery that I had done going into it. And you go look at Olympic athletes and you go look at their schedules. What you'll find is that they prioritize their rest and their recovery as much as they do their training. They'd probably be willing to train 24 by 7 if they thought it would make it better. But what we come to find out is that there's limits to human performance for both our physical systems as well as for our mental systems, for our mind. There's a lot of research that reinforces this mentally as well. And so probably the biggest takeaway that I've taken as I operate businesses on a daily basis, is no longer trying to push myself to the limit on every given day. Prioritizing both for me and for the people that work for me and with me, prioritizing things like rest and recovery and joy and happiness and enjoying the journey and learning to turn off that ambitious part of me that just wants to drive and grind harder every single day So that when those days do come, when the really tough days come, when you really need every bit of energy, every bit of decision-making, every bit of stamina, you've got that reserve built up to be able to perform at the highest level. If you're constantly grinding every single day, and if you're never willing to give yourself a little bit of rest and recovery, then when the really hard days come, you don't have that emotional reserve that you need to be able to perform at the highest level. That's powerful. It's funny, like it's not always that intuitive. I remember 
when I was first hiking with the guide again, thinking back to that climb in India, I remember on the very first day, I have very long legs, you know, and so I tend to take long strides. And I always think of this as my advantage because, uh, you know, I'm not especially strong, <laughs> but I always think that was, you know, a great advantage that I might have in climbing. And they taught me to take these really small steps. Yeah. Uh, and it's just something, again, that wasn't intuitive. I just thought, well, I got to get after this, you know, and I want to put some some miles in the tank early and all this. And, you know, they really taught me that idea of conserving energy. And But I've never quite thought about it the way you just put it. I think that's really cool. And it also makes me think about how has this approach affected you in your other pursuits outside of business? So even thinking about physical training, you mentioned you did a lot of that to lead up to this. Have you changed your approach to training at all? So yeah, 100% shy. And the number one thing that has changed for me, particularly as I've changed my mentality, but I've also started to get old, is um, I'm coming up on 40 here real soon. And the body just doesn't recover for me the way that it used to. And I think many of us have that sort of experience. And what I've started to learn is I can push myself to train harder on any given day. But what that does is it risks injury if I push it too hard. And so I've started to realize that what I have to do is rather than always trying to do more, rather than always saying I need to spend an extra hour on training, I still need to commit to the training. I still need to keep myself physically strong if I'm going to feel good, if I'm going to enjoy myself, if I'm going to be ready to do some of the mountaineering that I have coming up. It requires all of that. But then on the other hand, I also know that I have weaknesses. I know that I've got a herniated disc in my spine. And if I push myself too hard or if I push myself in certain ways, I know that my body's going to rebel and it's just simply not going to accept it. It's not going to make me stronger. What it's going to do is actually cause injury and, and cause me to need to go back and redo a lot of the work that I've done previously. And so what I've learned to do is to be consistent and thoughtful in my training. But then at the same time, once again, it goes back to shutting off that voice that says that I always need to be training harder. I found more balance, I guess, in making sure that I'm prioritizing training, but also making sure that I'm prioritizing rest and recovery. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to, I don't know if you're familiar with the inner game or any uh, inner game leadership books. No, I haven't read that one. Well, it reminds me of the concept of the performance equation, which talks about how you can increase your performance by either increasing your capacity, which means doing more stuff, or reducing interference. And that those things love that. are valuable, right? But it seems like a lot of things that we're taught, a lot of the media around us seems to focus on doing more all the time, more, 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 right? Hard driving CEO, work hard, play hard, all of that stuff. And it's almost like asking the question, what if my recovery days were equally as important as my training days? Or what if they were actually more important? which I've heard fitness experts say, especially as you age, you know? So it's really thinking about all of these things. It sounds to me like you need to really understand what that Everest is. And there might be one for your business. You know, what is the summit or what are the things that equal summiting in my business on a weekly basis, a quarterly basis, an enterprise basis? And more importantly, what are the things in my life that equal that? And how am I maintaining so that I can show up on my best days and be amazing? Because I can't just expend this energy. It's not limitless. Yeah, I absolutely love that concept that you're talking about. I reinforce this all the time. And I try to remind myself, when I start to feel really stressed, when I start to feel really stretched, when I feel like the world is moving faster and I'm struggling to keep up, 
my instinct for the early years of my life was always go run harder. It would be to sleep less. It would be to work harder, to try and amp up the pace at which I'm moving to try and keep up with the world as it speeds up around me. And every once in a while, I still need to do that. But what I've tried to do much more of now is exactly your point, Shai, to say, what can I eliminate? What can I reduce? What can I take out of my commitments on any given day or week or month? How can I bring more calm into this situation so that as I'm showing up to perform, I'm able to do it in a way that's far more effective? How do I be more efficient in my movement? Going back to some of the lessons that you learned about the rest stepping and and other things around moving efficiently is your hiking. How do I be more efficient rather than just trying to put more energy into something? And that I think is such a subtle concept and it's hard for type A entrepreneurial people to internalize. It took me a long time to get my mind around some of this, but once you start to understand it, it just becomes so powerful. I was wondering, Eric, is there any other myths, if you will, that you've discovered that the average entrepreneurial business owner runs up against that they should be aware of and look at and think about some more? So, Craig, I love that question. As I was doing research for this book and as I advised entrepreneurs and invested in entrepreneurs myself, one of the challenges that I see a lot is that there's just a lot of bad advice that's out there. And I think a lot of well-meaning people that give a lot of bad advice to entrepreneurs. One of the tropes that I push against the hardest is this idea that we should always do more faster, love the grind, hustle harder. We've talked about that one a fair bit. I think another one of the examples of really poisonous and toxic advice that's out there is this idea that the strong survive in entrepreneurship. And the people that fail in entrepreneurship, the people that fail in building a company are the ones that are weak. They're too weak to keep going. They're too weak to take on more risk. And so there's this corollary that no matter what, you should always take on more leverage. You should always work harder. And one of the really tough things that happens so often with CEOs and founders and executives is that we internalize how the business is doing. And that almost becomes who we are as a person. Like we conflate our very personhood and our humanity with the business that we're running. And what we know from the data is that 75% of companies will fail. We know that this is a very difficult road that we embark on. And yet we oftentimes internalize this idea that if we're not succeeding financially, that we're a failure as a person. And I just hate this advice. I think it's terrible for a whole lot of different reasons. I go into a lot of specifics in the book around the research around why it's not true. But the reality is that what it does is it saps what should be a really fun part in our lives. Like starting and running a business, most of us do it because it's something that we really want to do. It's a goal that we have. It's something that we think will be a lot of fun. And then we can get into it. And when the tough times come, we oftentimes lose that joy that's actually critical to our success as we're going through the journey. We need to understand that there's a lot of factors that lead to successes and failures in our business. And our job is to continue to operate and to do the best we can and to have a little bit of fun as we go through the journey. And then the rest of it will hopefully take care of itself. Well, Eric, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the radio show today. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And is there anything else you'd like to leave with our audience today? 
Yeah, if you're interested in these ideas, I'd encourage you to check out my book. It's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and other bookstores near you. It's called Scale Your Everest. You can find more writings and more ideas on this topic at severinghouse.com if you want to learn more about some of my thoughts on some of these ideas. But really, the thing to check out is the book Scale Your Everest. Our guest today has been Eric Severinghouse, author of the new book, Scale Your Everest, How to Be a Resilient Entrepreneur. You can learn more about Eric, as well as find links to his book and additional content, all on our website at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.